Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God, uh, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Afternoon, everyone. My name's Craig. I'm the minister here at the Garrison and uh, extend my welcome to you uh, from Chris's as well. And uh, you've, if you're new with us this afternoon, you've, you've joined us at the back end of uh, the very last week of a series we have been exploring here uh, called Messy Faith, looking at the interaction of mental health and Christian faith. And uh, we're sort of wrapping things up uh, this week with a reflection on learning to love others in the mess. Um, But it is important to know, even as we're reflecting this week, that next Sunday, uh, we're going to have a bit of a panel here. Not a bit of a panel, we'll have a full panel. um, Four people uh, who do work in, um, from 4pm here, who are in the medical, uh, social work, counselling world. And uh, they're going to have a chance to share with us as well. But what we really need for our panel is we need some questions. Uh, Questions that may have arisen for you over the last five weeks about the interaction of mental health and faith. Uh, It could be really practical things. We've got a doctor, a social worker, a psychologist, and myself. That sounds like the start of a joke, but, um, (laughs) but it's not. And it'll be really helpful. So any sort of practical questions about um, uh, this area of mental health and faith, um, we would love for you to actually write down some questions so the panel can reflect and give some really helpful ways forward. Um, if you'd like to write down a question, there is, uh, there's a box at the back of church as you're leaving. One easy thing is write it down on a bit of paper. There's pens in the pews and just pop it in the box. Another one is you could just... Let me know what the question is, or you could email me, um, or you could even text. So just a range of ways, but we'd love to have a few more questions come in for our panel next week. So I'll just put that out there. If there's anything that's been lingering, write it down, and they'll get to explore it next week. I'm going to pray for us now as we reflect on God's Word to us, and um, I'll just pray that God speaks uh, whatever you need to hear into your life this afternoon um, as we reflect on His Word. So let's pray. Um, Lord and Father, we ask now that you um, speak to us as we reflect upon your word and lead us um, to hear what you want us to hear. Give us the courage to hear it with an open heart and uh, to respond. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
I think out of any community in Sydney, out of any community in Sydney, could our church, which is us, grow to be the place where people are loved the most? Do you reckon that's possible? Could our church grow to be the place where people are loved the most? I know it's not a competition, so we're not going to measure it, but Jesus' communities are to be marked by active love. Uh, John 13, Jesus said to his disciples, uh, this is how people will know that you're mine, if you love one another as I've loved you. I had a conversation with someone about two months ago, and she told me a friend of hers had just disclosed um, that she had gone on meds for depression. And my friend was kind of unaware that, that her friend was struggling with depression. Um, and she really wanted to be a loving support. Um, but in the moment, she said, as we were chatting, she said, my mind just went blank. Like, what do I say? Or what am I meant to say? Or what shouldn't I say? And she said, I'm sure she was encouraging at the end, but she said, from my personal experience, I just didn't know what to do to be a support and to be a loving care. And I think anyone who's been a Christian for a while knows that um, we should be a loving community because we follow Jesus. Um, but I wonder if we can better equip ourselves to actually be this community. Over the past five weeks, we've opened up the conversation of mental health and faith, and today we wrap things up reflecting on practical ways to love each other. Uh, of course, this topic itself is so broad, um, but what we will do is just start today with conversational skills that we can sharpen to be more helpful as a loving presence, both here in our church family and even in the world that God has you in and the people around you day to day. One of the great explorations of God's love is actually found for us in the book of 1 John, and I think it's really worth exploring as we start this topic today. In chapter 4 of his letter, John provides what I call the Copernican Revolution of love. Uh, you know the Copernican Revolution? I don't really know it that much, so if you're anything in the science world, you'll know it more than me, but I've Googled it a reference, right, to the discovery that the sun is the centre of our solar system, not the earth, and so we revolve around it, it doesn't revolve around us, complete game changer, changes how we understand, I reckon there's one of these here in 1 John chapter 4, uh, it's at the end of verse 8 there, and John writes these three words, he says, God is love. There it is. God is love. Now just sit with that for a moment. God is love. Not God is loving, nor God understands love. No, no, no. God is love. He is the very definition and source and author of love. And I wonder if that is the image of God that you have in your mind. Of course, that's not all God is. We read through our Bible, he's also creator, judge, sustainer, source of all truth. But he is also love. 
This is why I guess you and I need to be reconnected with God so bad. Because, at least according to the words in 1 John, we will never truly know the extent of love without knowing God himself. Uh, We can get glimpses of it. We experience things we think feel like love and guess that this is probably a loving thing to do. But to get to the heartbeat of love itself means a genuine interaction with the divine, according to what's written in the Bible. And in verses 8 to 10 of 1 John 4, I think we find out four things about true love. Firstly, it's independent. Do you see those words in 1 John? This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. It is independent. It's not dependent. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And I wonder if this is why God is present with us in our mess. Because his love is independent of our mess. Thank goodness. So his love is independent. Secondly, it's active. We read, this is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son. Love always has hands and feet of some kind. It's active. And it's true with God's love. Thirdly, it's sacrificial. He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Atoning means to kind of fix that which is broken. It's an Old Testament word. And atoning sacrifice means that Jesus substituted himself in for you and I when he died on the cross. He bore the rightful punishment of our sin so that we don't have to. So that, in fact, God can declare us holy, blameless, one of his children. Why is the symbol of Christian faith the cross? Uh, Because our God died for his enemies. Love is sacrificial. And fourthly, love's purposeful. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. That we might live through him. The purpose of God's love towards us is actually some sort of fullness of life. God is love. And from the very author of it, we learn that love is independent and active, it's sacrificial, it's purposeful. But there's one other section to 1 John that intrigues me, and you see it there in verse 12. John writes, no one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, And his love is made complete in us. Isn't that a weird verse? Does this mean that God's love is not complete? Well, no and yes. I guess this could be one of those both and situations. Uh, The word complete here is the word for perfected or things being brought into their fullness. Two weeks ago, uh, Naomi gave me a Fitbit watch for my birthday, which I was chatting to some people very briefly about before. Uh, I said that I'd wanted one. She did the research. She found the one that looked good. She paid the price for it. She wrapped it up and gave it to me on my birthday morning. Done and dusted, right? Sort of. But what really made this present complete was when I actually started using it. I've downloaded the app on my phone. 
I'm measuring my sleep. I keep tabs on my water. I love the fireworks I get every day when I reach 10,000 steps. I love this space-age Star Trek gadget that sits on my wrist. Now you could say the gift is complete because it's having an impact. I'm loving it. And so it is, according to 1 John, with God's love. It is full and real and given to us. But it's not complete until we've received it, taken it out of the box and use it. That is, we let God's love lead and teach us to love others. Uh, It being transformational in our life. That's a big change for me to keep growing in a loving relation to others. And it's also transformation for them. That is the fullness of God's love. It's meant to be lived out, interactional. It's beautiful. And that is why it's so important that you and I learn how to love our messy faith community. And I deliberately use the word learn because it's not easy to know what to do when someone is going through a rough time. And it's not easy to know what is loving and what isn't. And it can be really difficult. Um, Loving others, for example, does not mean simply accepting all behavior as godly and healthy. Um, To accept someone as they are, which is a phrase I've used a little bit in this Messy Faith series, incredibly important, accept someone as they are, means that I understand that due to a whole host of reasons, many of which I don't even know about, you, you are currently in the situation that you are in. And I will meet you in that place. Affirm your value. Know that God is powerful to work and be willing to walk alongside you towards something good. To accept someone as they are is to recognize that where they are can be a starting point. And from this starting point, we're going to look forward. What it doesn't mean is that I have to affirm the issues you're struggling with are good or leading you into godliness. I can accept you as you are, but still recognize that your crippling anxiety is not life-affirming, that it might actually be blocking you from healthy connection with God and yourself and others. I can accept you as you are, but still recognize that your habitual destructive behavior is really negative for you and for your friends and for your walk with God, perhaps. When Paul writes to Timothy, the young minister in Ephesus, he says, I give you this charge, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. There is clearly a place for correcting and rebuking in God's family. Uh, You can accept someone as they are without casting, correcting and rebuking out of the window. However, I think what we've found in this messy faith journey is that when someone is wrestling with a mental illness of some kind, we must use, as Paul writes, great patience and careful instruction. Because too often, well-meaning Christians have spoken destructively into the lives of people wrestling with depression and anxiety and trauma and addiction. Did you notice Jesus' words from Matthew 7, which is the first Bible reading that Naomi read to us? 
It's really Jesus' words to us to be careful when you pass judgment on another. Now, you'll notice at the end of Jesus' teachings on this, he still encourages the removal of the speck from the brother's eye. I need your help in my life as I grow up as a Christian, and you need my help. But I think Jesus' point here, which is directed to the religious leaders of his day, is do the work on your own failings and blind spots first before casting judgment on others. And that is really helpful for us to hear. A loving community is not one where you have people running around trying to fix everyone. Rather, it is a community where we take our own agency seriously, where we examine ourselves. And from that place of humility, we walk with others helping each other out. Uh, The title of this sermon is Learning to Love a Messy Community, and so I thought I'd share four skills that I've learned through my study and different practice over the last couple of years that are very doable that any of us can develop. And there are some of us here in 4PM who are way better at this stuff than I am, but it's good to share with the whole family. In the context of someone telling you that things aren't great, And rather than your mind going blank, which is often normal, I wonder whether these four skills are the very start of a mental map that you can sketch in your mind and your heart, which gives some basic direction to loving others, especially in a very conversational way. This is really what this is about. So, four skills, have a listen, see if they resonate with you, see if you can put any into practice. The first one is a really broad skill You may have heard it before, it's called reflective listening. Reflective listening, a powerfully loving tool. Um, Oh, sorry, active listening, also called reflective, but we're going to go with active listening. Active listening involves helping someone process what's happening for them. Active listening, helping someone process what is happening for them. Truth is, other people know more about their own lives than you do. And they have more access to what potential ways forward exist for them than you do. So active listening involves getting out of the way to help the other person process what is happening for them and finding a way forward. Now, we have a resource here this afternoon that gives you some great examples of active listening questions and reflections and a whole bunch of other things. You'll see it here under the what to say little sheet. It's in the back of your zine. There's a whole bunch of really helpful questions and statements and reflections, and I encourage you to take these with you this afternoon and have a look through them. Uh, This was actually put together by um, Mairead, one of our 4PMers. She's going to be on the panel next week. Um, She is a psychologist, and um, I just think it's such a blessing for her to be able to serve us in this kind of way. A whole bunch of different things, uh, phrases that you can help someone process. What's that like for you? They share something with you. What's that like for you? That's on this sheet. You can have a look. How are you feeling about that? How's that affecting you? Again, These are examples of reflections and questions that get you out of the way 
and allow the person themselves you're caring for to process. What's one of the great enemies of active listening, where you sit and let the other person process? One of the great enemies is the counter story. And uh, I've been on the enemy side for years with my shield and my helmet. Maybe you have as well. When we counter story, we think we're being empathetic, uh, but most of the time we're actually just turning the conversation onto ourselves and we don't even realize it. But this is what's happening. So someone might say to us, yeah, I've gone on meds for my depression, which I guess is good. And you say, ah, my cousin has just gone on meds for his depression too. And he says they're really good, but I don't really know if it's really good for him right now because I had this chat with my mum last week and my mum was saying that my cousin didn't really see a proper GP or something. I don't know really what the story is. And it goes on. What have you just done? You've counter-storied. They've shared something with you and you've used that as a trigger to take all the focus away from the person who wanted some help and tell your own story. But the truth is, no one cares about your cousin in that moment. There might be another space for you to share about your cousin with someone if you're... But in this moment, where someone is actually sitting with you and they just want to talk about something that's troubling them, stay with them. Let them tell their story. And you might have three different stories that come into your mind and you just need to consciously say, this is not about me, this is not about my cousin, it's not about my brother, this is about them. I'm going to stay with them. Keep yourself and your experience out of it. Stay with the person. Help them explore their own experience of the issue. This is the foundation of active listening. And it's a powerful way to love someone. Uh, another second skill is really a sub-skill of active listening. But anyway, it's called summarizing. And it may seem silly, but if someone shares a bunch of stuff, it can be really helpful to feed back to them what you've just heard them say. So I'm hearing you say this happened and you felt this and you've said that this means you're unsure about X. Is that right? It's just a summary. But what it does is firstly let the person know, one, you're actually listening. Two, what it does is let the person hear back what it is they've just said to you. And thirdly, that allows them to process it. Sometimes things in our mind sound different to when they're actually fed back to us. And it's really helpful. And so you might say, yeah, but I'm not giving any advice. I'm not telling them what to do. I'm not... It's like, that's okay. If you can just... If it's been a long discussion and they've shared a lot of stuff and you can just summarize for them and then just sit. And often that will trigger another thought for them, a helpful processing thought. You've given no answers. You've given no advice. But you have created space for someone to be heard understood and invited into further processing. Summarizing is a great active listening skill. It's a great way to love someone who is sharing with you difficulties in their life. Thirdly, empowering change. So we can be actively listening, and part of that is receiving, understanding, summarizing, giving back to them what they've said. Empowering change. What could the next step forward be for this person? Who knows? So at some point, you could ask them. This is different to giving advice. Advice is when you 
tell them what you think they should do. Instead, why not ask the person, what do you think is something that you could do? Empowering them. This is their journey. And if they have something in mind, then you could ask them, what would it look like for you to do that thing? The first step of change involves empowering the person you are loving to make their own steps forward, supported by someone who really cares for them. And often what's helpful is after you've had this conversation and you may have come up with something, they say, well, really, I guess what would be really helpful for me is if I did X. That's great. What would it look like for you to actually do X? Uh, well, I guess that means I'm going to have to do Y and Z. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And then you can keep chatting, and maybe towards the end of the conversation, you can just say, hey, can I touch base with you next week and just see how you've gone with that? I'm empowering you. I haven't told you to do anything, but you've come up with your own way forward, and I've been able to be the person to support you, and I've even just said, hey, I'll just touch base next week and see how you're going. Active listening, summarizing, empowering change, these are all actual things that we can do as we sit with someone to help them process and find a way forward. It's a way of loving them. Uh, the fourth helpful thing to do uh, is called reframing. But this is, I think, to be used kind of more sparingly, but can be helpful. I'll put out the idea, and you can just sort of throw it around your mind. Often we only see things through one very particular frame. And a loving friend can help us reframe what is actually happening, perhaps shift our view just a little bit. A reframing comment uh, could be something like, uh, well, if this, what if this wasn't X, um, but is in fact Y? And notice it's a question. What if, what if this isn't actually X, but it could be Y? Epistemic arrogance. I wonder if you've heard of it. Epistemic refers to the study of knowledge. Arrogance refers to arrogance. <laughs> um, epistemic arrogance refers to the confident assertion that you know something when in truth you don't. In pastoral situations, epistemic arrogance always starts with God is doing this to fill in the sentence. God is doing this to help you love him more. God is doing this to help you trust him more. God is doing this to discipline you for your sinful life. Is he? Do you know that with absolute certainty? Of course you don't. You're trying to be encouraging, and that is good, but you're not necessarily telling the truth. Deuteronomy 29, 29, Moses says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. God has revealed much to us in his word, but he does not reveal the particulars of every single moment. Reframing is an invitation for someone to see something in a different way. It's an invitation, though. 
And as with any invitation, it is allowed to be received or rejected. That's the rule with invitations. What if? Could it be? I wonder whether. All these opening lines show an epistemic humility and invite someone to reframe what is happening to them. There are certain truths in the Scriptures that are so clear. I mean, Romans 8, we've used this a lot in the last five weeks, that in all things, God is at work for the good of those who love Him, to those who've been called according to His purpose. You read on in that, it says that God is at work in all things, all things, to transform us more into Christ-likeness. Now, there's a truth that we know from God, but we don't always know all the individual little details of someone's own experience. And so we could reframe, could it be that God may be at work in all of this? It's a question, invitation. I wonder whether God could be present with us here, even though it doesn't feel like it. You're just opening the door to say that maybe God is present. To reframe is to provide permission for someone to think differently about their situation. It's always invitational, it's always held loosely, but it can be of great help. Four skills that start the sketching of a mental map, very rough, reflective listening, summarising, empowering change, reframing. But even as I just reflect on these, I think, isn't it exciting to know that there is a whole world of possibility in terms of our own opportunity to learn how to be more of a support for those who are going through tough times. And our resource today that's in the zines is just kind of the tip of the iceberg. It's just something tangible and usable that you can take away with you and reflect on and perhaps start using. Perhaps God may bring someone in front of you this week who might be having a really tough time. And you can love them by being the person who gives them the space to process, to think, to consider change, to walk alongside them. Indeed, one of the great blessings about being part of a Jesus community like this one is that we have something firm and unchanging that actually sits outside of our mess, but is present within it. We have a God who does not give up on us. We have new identities as children of his, and we have his model of love to help shape our own upon. In his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, which is one of the books we've got on the bookstore, Paul Tripp writes this. Uh, he says, in personal ministry, I want to bring more than a heart of compassion, a willingness to listen, and a commitment to help bear someone's burden, though these are the sweet fruit of Christian love. And I want this to be a community that is just a fruit salad of that love. But Paul Tripp goes on. He says, I want to offer more. I want to bring the heart-changing truths of Scripture to people in the midst of their situations and relationships. Personal ministry is about loving people, but in a way that also brings to them God's Word. This is the truth in love model that Paul describes in Ephesians 4. But we do that with gentleness and respect and patience and I guess this brings us sort of to the end of our Messy Faith series. 
Um, it's kind of been five weeks that could be a lot more. And certainly I hope this is kind of a start for us as a community to start growing and talking more over the coming year or two. I hope that in some way these last few weeks have been helpful for you. Um, Paul writes to the church in Philippi, he says, I'm certain of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Through all the mess, there is a God who never gives up. With a love that is independent and active and sacrificial and purposeful. And one thing I do believe is on that final day, on that final day, if we can continue trusting Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, we will reach the place where we will see each other as we really are. Not plagued by our darkness, but finally set free to fully be our true, loving, resurrected, God-worshipping selves. And with smiling faces and with open hearts, we will raise a glass to our Lord Jesus and the feast will begin. And I long for that place. And I love sharing the journey with all of you to that place. And let us keep loving and encouraging each other uh, as we make our way home. So I want to say a short prayer and just ask God to lead us in this. Let me pray. Uh, Lord, I just ask that you might continue to shape us to be a community that is loving. I pray, Lord, that people might look at us and go, they must be Christians. They must follow Jesus because they love each other. I don't even know what that will look like for us as we continue to grow up as a family of yours, but lead us in this direction and uh, help us each to hear and feel and know your love and to live it out and make it complete. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.